Hello and welcome to what I think is episode 56 of Must See Matches. I am Kieran LeFort and joining me as always, the man behind Must See Matches, Mark Buckley. Mark, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. Nothing oh, really going on. I'm good. <laughs> no, no, not really. Um, so we are back to the WWF this week. Uh, it is Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental title. SummerSlam 1991, Madison Square Garden, August the 26th, 1991. And our guest joining us today, we've had one half of the Eddie and Arn experience, and now it's time for the other. The internet sent him, and we can't send him back. It's Arnold Fury. Arn, how's it going? <laughs> it's, it's the Arn and Eddie experience. I oh, conf- no. It, well, it, it, it sounds wrong the other way around. Well, I think it sounds wrong. The Eddie other way got in first, so he told us it was the other way around. Yeah, I bet he did. He's trying to give himself <laughs> first billing. <laughs> Pleasure to be here, gents. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you the, the usual newbie question. Like, When did you become a wrestling fan to start with? Um, it's kind of hard to nail down. So I started watching wrestling in sort of the eighties, mm. uh, but it would have been uh, World of Sport. Yes, a lot. Of my my grandmother used to watch World of Sport, and I just kind oh, of snap floor in front of the TV <laughs> watching it. Yes, uh, but I, I was very young, so I don't mm. really remember a lot about it. I'm not going to sit here and claim that I could remember angles and stuff. I really can't. I remember mm. Big Daddy, and that was about it. Mm. Um. So I would say I started following uh, WWF when my next door neighbor got Sky. So mm-hmm. I'd say that's probably, I want to say like 88, mm-hmm. like that. somewhere around then. And sort of I, I started being more into it sort of around this sort of time. So uh, around SummerSlam 91, I'd say it was around the time. But I, I was watching a, a WCW on um, on ITV as well, so... Yes. I think I was more into WCW than than WWF until sort of a couple of years after this. Mm. So I see when all the when all the big guys stopped yeah. being here and all went to WCW in, in mm. like 94 with the the Hogan. Yeah. So I kind of switched then. Mm. Mm. Um so I'm get, I mean would you have seen this at the time or roughly thereabouts? I'm pretty sure I did, but like yeah. I don't the the only match that I really remember from like this this spell where I definitely saw it like the day after it happened, like the morning, and we watched it before I went to school was SummerSlam '92, and it was Bretton Bulldog. Mm-hmm. I knew you were going to say that. I got up really early and went to my next door neighbor's house, and we sat and watched it. Wow! So I remember that, but um, that was the only thing I actually remember. Mm. Like definitely seeing. Lucky you. My first proper exposure to the WWF was WrestleMania 9. It's amazing. I'm still a wrestling oh fan to this day. <laughs> uh, Mark, I'm assuming that this is the first time you've seen this match. Um, yes. Uh, n- notable uh, Bret Hart historian that you are. I've seen, as I said, I've seen very little 90s uh, WWF. Even mm. like late Attitude Era, I've seen very little 90s WWF. I might have before this project. I might have seen more 80s WWF than 90s. Mm. Weirdly enough. So we've talked before about like how little Bret Hart you'd seen. How much Kurt Hennigan would you have seen? Even less, I would have thought. So it's weird. So my my Bret Hart viewing uh, was most up until like recently was mostly like episodes of WWF Classic where mm. it was like random Heart Foundation matches and they were mm. kind of the jobber matches. My Kurt Hennig experience was the West Country Rednecks. Oh, God, oh of course. Because <laughs> I started on like 1999 WSW and I specifically remember 
I don't remember that much from like the first year I was following WCW, but mm. I remember things like Benoit coming off the cage with the headbutt. I remember things like uh, multiple misfits in action matches with all those horrendous uh That's not the worst year of wrestling for WCW as well. It's so bad. <laughs> 1999 is sort of like the worst year of wrestling full stop, isn't it? If you think what was going on like in the mainstream, like the WWF in-ring product is terrible. WCW is bad. ECW starting to slide. All Japan's not exactly on its strongest. New Japan's got the problems with Shinya Hashimoto. And as I say every week, I'm currently going through UWA Wrestling Rampage from 1999 with Andy Ogden, and that's not a fucking treat either. <laughs> like 1999, like around the world is pretty bad. So it's amazing you're still a wrestling fan as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think my first exposure to Kurt Hennig was uh, Mr. Perfect was one of the was the favorite wrestler of one of my friends at school. Okay. He's like, "Yeah, you could you could you can have your WCW, you you know, you can keep your Bret Hart, your Shawn Michaels." He's like, "Mr. Perfect and the Perfect Plex is where it's at." <laughs> Did he do the the gum spit thing in school? <laughs> that was something we always used to try and do that on the playgrounds, like this, you spit the gum out and then you swat it. It's really funny. All that it took me years to notice he even did that. I was noticing more that he was flinging the towel around as a kid. And I don't even remember him doing the gum swat at the start of this match. I don't think he did. No, I, no. I didn't notice it, but like no. he, he definitely used to do that. And I, I was enamored with the idea that he, <laughs> that he could spit his gum out and then swat it out the air. It just seemed really cool. <laughs> and not get it stuck to a finger. Yeah. Well, I thought that was a lot cooler than, because when they were, they were going to put him on TV, mm. they had uh, all these vignettes as they used to do when they yes. were debuting somebody. And he'd have things where he'd like throw a, a football and then like show himself catching it. Yes. Uh, I thought it was far more impressive that he could hit the gum that he spat out than that he could catch, his, <laughs> catch a football that he'd thrown himself. It just Yeah, it, I mean, it's more believable to start with. Yeah, you can see it. It's real. Yes, you know? yeah, exactly. There's no cuts or anything. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so I had like two sort of linked questions kind of going into this, because this is not a period I'm familiar with. Like I said, I first started following the WWF, if you like, in 1993. How long has Brett been singles, and how long has he been a babyface? Uh, he won't have been singles very long. No. Baby, baby face. I want to say WrestleMania. Is that the WrestleMania with the Battle Royal? Uh, there's, there's a there's a WrestleMania where there's a Battle Royal and uh, like he wins it and then somebody smashes up his trophy. I think it's back in his brain. Yes. Um, I cannot remember what WrestleMania that is, though. There's probably people screaming at their MP3 players right now. Or Spotify subscriptions, or however they're listening to this. Oh, uh, they lost the tag titles. They, yeah, they were, they would have been babyface as a team, and then they lost the tag titles at WrestleMania, and then uh, Brett went singles, like not long after that. Yeah, so not long, and WrestleMania was March or April, so like, yeah, yeah four months, five months, maybe he's been a singles. Okay. And I mean, so for the WWF of 1991, he's pretty. If he's in the Intercontinental Title match at SummerSlam, yeah, like that's pretty much the fast track, isn't it? Yeah, but he'd been pushing to be singles for for a while, sure. And I think the (laughs) two things stopped it. One was that Vince felt the tag division wasn't strong enough, so they wanted to keep him in there. Mm. And the other uh, half of, the, of it was that uh, Jim Neidhart <laughs> stubbornly didn't want it to happen because of effectively course. it would end his mm. career in the company because what's he going to do if he's not 
tagging with Brett. He, he was never going to be a singles guy. He just didn't have the, the, the tools mm. to do it. Uh, mm. So yeah, there was a, there was a degree of uh, obstinacy from Jim that kind of stopped it from happening. But eventually, you just had to go. I've, it's fair enough. Like you got to you got to go. Yeah, and he was he was getting on a bit by uh, ninety one as well. I think the the thing that astounded me about this match is I've, I always thought of it as Mister Perfect being the veteran mm. at this point because he'd been in the main events for for longer or he'd been at like a star singles wrestler for longer. Mm. But he's actually three years younger than Brett. <laughs> Wow. So he's 31 at this point, and Brett is 34. Brett's already 34. He's 34 in 91. I think wow. I've got that right. I did I did a quick bit of mass before, uh, yeah. before we came on. You so, should kind of forget how long Brett was around before his WWF run started. Oh, yeah. He had a hell of a long run in uh, Canada. And then mm. as a tag, like he was in the uh, WWF six years, I want to say. I think it, yeah, I think he turned up in '85. Yeah, and then they lost 85. the they lost the belt. I think it's the Nasty Boys. They lost the belts to at WrestleMania in '91. Yes. So yeah, that's six years as a tag wrestler. Like, there's there's plenty of wrestlers who don't even have six years as a whole career. People people used to get really pigeonholed in this sort of mm. era, and it it was a struggle for him to get out of it. Mm. But they knew he was good. Mm. They always knew he was good. He was always technically very gifted. He was one of the best technical wrestlers they had. And it was it was a, a case of this was his time. Mm. Um, so that they do a lot of the build up with the match. It, mm. it has a, the vibe of like, well, if he doesn't get it done now, yeah. then it's not going to happen. I think that was uh, what I th- the commentary was alluding to mm. when it was saying mm. that it's it's now or never kind of thing yeah. for him. Ah, uh, yeah. But this is this is not a company that either platforms or rewards good technical wrestling, is it? No, <laughs> like at this time, I, like look at the rest of this card. <laughs> the reason why Kurt Hennig got pushed way before Brett was because he was so much more uh, gifted as a talker. Like he mm. could he could talk him into the seats, whereas Brett as a talker, yeah, if I'm, time if to I'm get being there. polite, <laughs> yeah, was not very good. Even at his peak, was not great. And mm. then kind of got good later in his career when it was the he was running with the whole uh, pro Canada yes anti USA mm. gimmick sort of yes. ninety seven yeah um, he was a really good talker then in nineteen ninety one he he really wasn't he was very basic with his promos which is yeah. why he was so uh, far behind when it came to getting a singles push I'm surprised they gave him a push at all in uh, at the end of the day but I think it was just a case of. Uh, the steroid issue was starting to become very important to the mm. company mm-hmm. and they needed guys who looked good and believable and he'd been there for ages so they knew they could trust him. Yes, so. absolutely. I think another reason that perhaps Hennig got the, the push earlier is he was you know, willing to take on this cartoon character of Mr. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, we mentioned it before, like Brett was given the nickname The Hitman but it's not like he's running around with a fucking sniper rifle. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) uh, yeah he's still you know he's just a wrestler who has that nickname um yeah i'm looking down the rest of this card and it's all cartoon characters you know even ricky steamboat is just billed as the dragon in the opener did you have you actually seen ricky steamboat when he when he was in this run i don't know if i have because this is after the flare stuff and he comes back yeah Mm. He came back and they gimmicked the shit out of him. He had yeah. like, um, like a like a hood thing. This is where he starts doing the fire breathing, isn't it? Yeah, he wasn't so doing that in the eighty seven mm. run. No, 
So they, they tried to make him like he was a real dragon because mm. that's, how, how, that's how dumb the company was at the time. Mm. I mean, WC, WCW wasn't much better. So I think he was just like, well. Well, yeah. And he's still wearing the dragon head when he comes back for the, the clash tag with Dustin Rhodes as the mystery partner at the end of 91, isn't he? I think he must have snuck that in his suitcase on the way out of the WWF. Oh, and then yeah. that's how they reveal him on the ramp uh, again, in the match against the horseman. We're getting way off track. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to happen. I apologise ahead of time. Nah, uh, it's fine. Yeah, everyone on this card is very gimmicky, aren't they? Yeah. Like, there are no... If you look up and down, um, I mean, there are no other... This is the second match, and there are no other what I would call wrestling matches on it. Yeah. Natural Disasters versus Bushwhackers. Well, Holy the main shit. event's a wedding, so... Yeah. Virgil versus Ted DiBiase. Big Boss Man versus The Mountie, which is fun for the post-match. Legion of Doom versus Nasty Boys, IRS versus Greg Valentine, and then your wrestling main event, in inverted commas, is Hogan and Warrior against Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa. It says something that on Cage Match, the second highest match rating is a match with Virgil in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be fair, that was, a, that was kind of a blow-off of a, quite a long-term angle, so I can't oh, yeah. I think that's what people are voting for there. Is yeah. like is, the, is the end of the angle and not and not the actual match quality itself because I don't think Mike Jones has ever had a good match. My my Virgil exposure is more listening to the Days of Thunder guy just bemoaning his, uh, <laughs> his WCW run on Thunder, which yeah. paints a picture, shall we say? Accidental shoot brainbusters on the apron, yeah. So, should we actually talk about this match? Is there anything else we need to get into in this match? Because like, there's no there's no like TV angles going into it. Is Brett just like? nominated as being the contender for the for the title is that it because the 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 my dad is big better than your dad stuff was what they did for the the king of the ring rematch yeah i don't i don't remember there being much in the way of angle but then i wasn't very old at the time sure i'm sure somebody would be loudly correcting us the one thing i'll say is mm. i i think this is synonymous of brett here is between 1991 and 1997 we had 34 WWF matches nominated and Brett's in 62% of them, mm. which kind of shows how integral he yeah. was to people's memories from that era. I think it's basically that he was a really good wrestler in a period where there weren't many in the company. Yes. So he was literally... He was the wrestler. <laughs> yeah. In the wrestling company. And he was like told to go out and fix problems. Like, you know, yes. we've got this guy, you can't get over, you fix it. Yeah, uh, we we need a champion. You fix it. Yeah, we need Yoko Zuna to look good. Yeah, you fix it. And it's mm. the whole era is just Brett fixing things until Shawn Michaels comes along. And that's it. He's less of a wrestler, more of a plumber for a lot. Yeah, of it, I think. Um, I'm looking at their history of matches on TV. Actually, so in '89 they have three time limit draws, which are all for like the the WWF local network show. So the MSG network, whatever network it was they had in Canada, the local TV in Boston. Mm. They're in the 90 and I used 91 to love those Boston shows. Mm. The yellow floor and the Boston uh, <laughs> yeah. Boston garden, those are great tapes. You always get those tapes. That they always tried harder in Boston. Yeah. They're in the 1990 and 91 Royal Rumbles, but I don't know if they cross paths. This is then their first proper singles match on tv and the only other one they have is the king of the ring match and then once they're both in wcw they only wrestle on house shows and never wrestle on tv so for to all intents and purposes this is their first proper televised wrestling match 
Wow. So my first note is, oh, God, Piper on commentary. He is so loud and so obnoxious. There's a, there's a major issue in commentary on this where mm. for the first half of the match, it's just Heenan and Piper arguing with each yes. other. Mm, and yeah. they don't pay any attention to the match at all. No. Which is... I mean, to be honest with you, if I was commentating on uh, WWF in 1991, I probably wouldn't pay attention to the wrestling either. But no. at least do it in the good matches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that uh, caught me by surprise is Perfect has coached John Tolos as his manager. Yeah, that was Bobby Heenan, and mm. they switched it mm. for reasons I can't remember, but they switched to, to Tolos, who was pointless. Did he last any longer after this? Not really. I'm pretty sure he was gone. Because um, to me, Hennig is always a Heenan guy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It says something when you're the poor man's Bill Alfonso. <laughs> I did make a joke note later on where it says uh, Bill Alfonso is blowing the whistle in Brett's face. Yeah, they just got rid of him. And then he was in, um, after he left, uh, he, he basically he just came in to be a manager. He was mm. there for a bit. Then Perfect couldn't wrestle anymore, so they got rid of him. Mm. Why, why even bring him in? It didn't make any sense. Mm. And then he ended up doing commentary for Herb Abrahams in uh, UWF. Oh. With, even worse. Tremendous. There's, there's <laughs> nothing good in that company. <laughs> it's absolutely fucking dreadful. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've seen any of it. Maybe a little, but not an awful lot. Yeah, I'm yeah, aware I used of the to thing, I used to have a thing where I'd, uh, people would keep recommending like bad companies to me, so I, I reviewed like all the, the worst mm. wrestling ever. <laughs> uh, and Herb Abraham's UWF, I did a couple of uh, their pay-per-views. Hmm. They are one of the most dreadful professional wrestling companies of all time. <laughs> Some of their TV was all right because uh, basically he just didn't, um, Herb didn't care. Hmm. So he didn't turn up, he didn't do anything. And they just, the boys just went out and had, had a laugh. <laughs> uh, got themselves over. So it's just gone off onto a tangent. Here yeah, it has. Uh, I'll let, let me see if I can drag it back on. The boys here decide they're going to get as much out of a headlock as they can. Um, oh, yeah. uh, Brett is very intent on the headlock. Uh, Perfect is pulling the hair to try and get out of it. And he pulls them into a rope running spot that ends with him getting whipped over in a hip toss that he, he kind of takes sideways at high mm, speed. Yeah. And it looks very cool. It's one of those only Kurt Hennig does it type bumps, I think. So he had to he had to basically modify all of mm. his uh, bumps as, as Ric Flair did because like Ric Flair had had a back injury mm. uh, from the plane mm. crash so you couldn't flat back a bump so you, every time you see him take a backdrop or something he, he yes. come down all weird on his side yes um, well perfect is at that stage in his career where uh, he comes uh, he came into this match with a broken tailbone oh and, god and two bulging discs in his back. Oh Jesus! So basically, he's he's completely fucked. He can barely move. I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> like, because mm. considering how hopelessly immobile he is, and he mm. can't take a bump at all, mm. I think he had a really good match. Oh but, yeah! For the first three quarters of this match, I'd say until like the last like three four minutes, he doesn't take a bump at all. Mm. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to aggravate anything, and he it's only until they get near the finish mm. he takes like a back bump, and it's like. 
then he suddenly takes like a bunch of them because it's like he, he felt it and he was like, I'm okay, I can carry on. Mm. I can do enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. for the first three quarters of the match, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was aware that things were bad and I, I figured he was probably full of cortisone shots going into this, but like I didn't realise it was a broken tailbone and two bulging discs. That's yeah. horrible. And he didn't wrestle after that. Like he, he took probably a yeah. year off after this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Hedy keeps trying to grab the hair to get out of this headlock. He gets crucifixed uh, for a near fall, falls victim to another high-velocity headlock takeover. Um, he goes for the pull of the hair and push off the ropes a couple of times, but each time, like, Brett grabs a handful of Hennig's hair himself and gets the headlock back on. And Roddy's shouting, look at Bret Hart using his smarts. And Heenan's like, no, he didn't. He used the hair. Uh, uh, Brett ducks a clothesline, hits a crossbody for two, and the kickout tosses him out to the apron. Uh, but he comes in with a slingshot sunset flip, which gets MSG very excited because that's not a common move in, like you know, that's practically a shooting star press in the WWF of 1991. <laughs> um, and they're back to the headlock again. And what I liked about this opening stuff is it does a great job showing that Brett is prepared and focused and has perfect mm. number. And perfect, all he's got is he has to resort to grabbing the hair because he doesn't have an answer for anything that Brett's doing to him. Uh, Hennig fires off a chop finally to stagger Brett, but he gets mm. caught and he has his leg swept and MSG goes crazy at the tease of the sharpshooter. Uh, yeah. Brett often opts to soften him up a bit more instead. He stamps on the, the stomach. Um, they get a slam and an upkick each, and then Hennig falls over for what I called a something. I think Brett kind of kicked his ankle out. And he takes a face first bump, but it it it's so quick, and they flip cameras, and it just looked like perfect fell over. I had to rewind that because I'm, mm. like, I'm not really sure what was supposed to happen, and yes. it must have been really subtle. But mm. the camera angle that they had didn't mm. really show it. Now, before, because I didn't know about the um, the back issues that Arm was referring to, when I watched this match, for me, from that point onwards, it kind of felt like Hennig had been like knocked loopy or something like that because he just really didn't look right and didn't mm. look comfortable for about a minute and a half from around maybe, this point uh, onwards. Maybe the pa- maybe the painkillers were wearing off. Um, mm. I didn't. You do notice that when he gets clotheslined over the top, though, he in, he doesn't go backwards. He kind of turns around and like takes it on the back of his head and goes over the ropes forwards. Mm. Um, he teases a walkout, but Brett catches up and very deliberately tears his siglet. I I don't know. If, it's never referenced on commentary, which is weird. No. It's very obvious that he grabs it and pulls it. I don't know if it was supposed to be a mistake and they were just very unsubtle about it. Um, but he flings him back in the ring, cut to Stu and Helen Hart, and Stu has his tongue out like a fucking dog hanging oh, out yeah. of a car window. <laughs> <laughs> so when they cut to him, he's just like... Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. he doing? <laughs> Is that just his thinking tongue or something? I like did. <laughs> so I did get a good laugh out of the commentary exchange, which is Gorilla going, the concerned look on the faces of Brett's parents. And Brain goes, you know why they're concerned? They snuck in. They're looking out for the usher. <laughs> um, so in the ring, they kind of hit the reset button. Uh, they go for a lockup that Perfect gets pushed into the corner. And when Hebner squeezes in between them for the break, uh, Henning, of course, socks Brett in the eye. It's a good-looking punch and a really good sell from Brett as well. Yeah, I really um, love that spot. It's yeah. just it's nice, simple, but the crowd ate it up. Mm. And the extra detail on top that I like is when Hebner confronts Henning, he pantomimes, oh, no, I just pushed him. Mm. It's, re- it's really nice. I, I like her up to that point. Any time that Hennig had tried to cheat, Brett had mm. been able to overcome it. So yes. like whenever mm. he was going with the hair pull thing, you just pull his hair back and it yes. was like, oh, okay. Because yeah. he's, he's not long ago been a heel himself. 
So yes. from a from yeah. a fan point of view, sitting there going, of course he knows that's what's going to happen. He that's what he was doing like six months ago or whatever. So yeah. like for him to to understand that and to get it all, and it mm. and then perfect has to go to like another level. Of yeah. just flat out punching him in the jaw to kind of get <laughs> to get to that point. It's it's a nice bit of storytelling. Yeah, you can extrapolate it in a kayfabe sense that they would have shared a locker room as heels and would have, you know, like shared dirty tactics, maybe. Yeah. Oh, you know, this is when you poke him in the eye. This is when you when you kick him in the balls. That kind of thing. Yeah, I don't like uh, when a when someone turns either heel or, or babyface and they just seem to completely forget what the other person would have done in that situation. Yeah. Lex mm. Luger is prime example of this. Yeah, like when it, whenever he went from babyface to heel, it was completely unrecognizable. It's like he just mm. like somebody flicked a switch in him and like he mm. he'd just forgotten everything. Mm. <laughs> like he'd taken a blow to the head and that's amnesia's wiped out the last year. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the first- if that was Lex Luger in real life, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's true. Um, so the first really big spot is Hart has got knocked out of the ring, and as he's getting back in, uh, Hennig uh, sends him flying off the apron into the barrier. Yes. Well, That's a really, really cool spot. And- well, not quite it the barrier. Been. He sends him into a photographer yeah. who doesn't really sell and just say squished under, bit- under Brett with a face that says, oh, God, why me? Yeah, so... The idea behind it is very cool. The mm. actual landing was Yeah. Yeah. But then when they did King of the Ring, they did the same thing again. Mm. And I was surprised at how many spots were used in both matches. Yeah, it was we can really maybe talk about- to see the two compared. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah. We can well let's talk comparison. about that later on because I think we all also watched the King of the Ring match as well. Um, just out yeah. of like interest for comparison. But here though, uh the the crowd come up for Brett running wild with punches and a tip up into an O'Connor roll out of the corner. Um, one guy in a big mustard colored jumper really thought that was going to be the finish. <laughs> um, really? As, as soon <laughs> really as he, mustard guy? Well, as soon as he gets out of it though, like perfect uh, punches Brett in the throat to get back in control, like a real mm. sneaky little heel dig is really good. Um, Brett shows that he can take a buckle just as well backwards as he can forwards uh, and Perfect thinks the bump is so good he goes for a cover off it Yeah. Uh, before hitting the trademark rolling neck snap and uh, dropping, uh, drop kicking Brett out to the floor um, I'd noticed at this point all the moisture is gone from Perfect's hair and he just looks like he hasn't poured the kettle into his pot noodle yet <laughs> 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 like it's it's getting a bit sid up there Um. They have a little fight on the outside, and then Hennig, in 1991, teases a dive off the top rope to the floor. <laughs> that was never going to happen, even with a good back. They they kind of teased something where it was like they were going to do like a superplex or, yeah. or something. Yeah, they, like they were they were they were like something's going to happen here, something's mm. going to happen, and then it's like, well, he can't really take this bump, and then mm. it just kind of falls off, and then then Hennig falls off. <laughs> Or the other way around. Brett kind of like spider Brett's his way back into the ring, getting tangled up in the ropes on the way down. And then he oh, yeah. just sort of flops off on top of him for a two count. Uh, a perfect pie faces Hebner and gets chewed out. And Heenan's going, don't do it. Don't hit the ref. And Gorilla says, a disqualification would save his uh, title. And Heenan goes, all right, nail him. <laughs> I did love that commentary. Yeah. Um, it, this is not prime Heenan, but he gets three or four like really good spots in on commentary, I think. 
Um, so Hennig finally has Brett where he wants him and he's just sort of cockily slapping him in the corner uh, mm. before grabbing two handfuls of hair and hurling him into the opposite corner like it's an All Japan women's match in 1985. Uh, Perfect looks like he's going for a clothesline, but he hangs on to turn it into a sleeper and Hart kind of elbows his way out and goes for another crucifix. But Perfect holds on and squashes him with a Samoan drop. Like it was much harder than I was expecting it to be for these two. When he uh, went to take that bump, I was like, is he actually going to do this hard? Because, like, obviously, because of his back. Mm, so mm. I was very interested to see how that worked mm. out. But I think he just basically let Brett take the entire bump for I think he did, <laughs> yeah. Out. Perhaps Brett was just like, use me as a crash pad. It's fine, yeah. man. Um, we're only doing this once. It's, I uh, loved so it that- as a callback in the match because earlier in the match, Brett had done yes. the crucifix to get a sneaky two. And this is Hennig. Nope, you've done that once. I know what to do. Yes. Um, That's good stuff. Brett takes a logical chest first bump as Hennig follows him all the way across the ring Mm. and keeps a hand on his back to stop him turning until they're right in the corner. I think one of my my biggest gripes about professional wrestling is Irish whips and how poorly they're executed in general. So like you'll have somebody just go like this and just kind of, and then the guy runs all the way across the ring. I'm like, why? What's what's he doing that for? Yeah. to, to watch it done properly, at least mm. like, it's like you do an Irish whip, you've got to push them, got to get Yes, yeah, into, yeah. Got to make sense. Yeah, uh, I, I, and it, this kind of ties into one of my pet hates in professional wrestling, having a trademark bump. Like, what sense does that make? In yeah. any In any sense, like Brett's chest first into the corner, Brian Pillman flying off the middle rope and landing on the guardrail, Rob Van Dam doing the same thing off the top rope to the guardrail. Like, it doesn't make any sense to have a trademark bump. I was like when Brett did the front turnbuckle when it was like set up right. Yes. So mm. if you properly like shoved him into As the corner here. like Henning yeah. did, then it makes sense. Yes. That was why I called this like a logical version of it because like Henning is with him all the way across the ring. Um, perfect plex. Uh, Hart gets a big pot for the kicking out. They claim nobody's ever kicked out of it, but I'm pretty sure Hogan must have oh, during Hogan the did, Hogan yeah. Henning. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. they had a match and he kicked out of one. Yeah, but, oh, of um, course. Why? Why wouldn't you? Um, I I did love Hennig's little fist pump before he goes for the uh, perfect plex that shows mm. his confidence. That's a nice little mm. touch. I do like the idea that um, he can always use the back as an excuse as to why he couldn't get the the pinfall. It looked yes. like a pretty decent bridge, but like he can just say, "Look, I couldn't hold it because of yeah, the because yeah. mm. of my back." And I like that. Although the back has become common knowledge afterwards. They didn't do the story as the back. Whereas if this was now, mm. the whole match would be back. It would just be like work the back, work the back, work the back, and it probably wouldn't be the finish either. Because no, you're you, you're right. There is no there's no working on the back in this match at all, is there? Um, uh, Brett gets in a couple of gut shots and then all the variations of an atomic drop he can think of uh, before returning the hair mare favor from before. Uh, epic bumper Kurt Hennig though using the momentum to slide into what I think was supposed to be balls first into the post mm, but he ends up wrapping his leg around it instead which works fine because of what his opponent's finisher yeah. is um, but th- this is one of a couple of there's a fat f- two or three spots in this match where it's clear you know what they're going for and they don't quite do it The mm. I mean the other big example being that bump onto the guardrail that doesn't do it and yeah and yeah. watching these spots and then watching King of the Ring, which we'll get onto later, is mm. fascinating. Mm. 
Suplex City coming up, says Gorilla Monsoon, 30 years too early. Uh, as Brett hits a vertical, and then because it's 1991, people buy it as a near fall. Uh, Russian it, leg this sweep. Is, this is the, like, that's, I think it's, that's the first bump that Perfect takes on his back. Yes. I could be wrong. There might be mm. one before that, but it's like the suplex and then, then Russian leg sweep. Yeah. So this is the point where it's like, he knows he's okay now. Yeah. And after that, you'll notice that he starts taking more mm. dangerous bumps because he's like, well, I can take one. It's fine. We've yeah. got this far. We're all mm. right. Yeah. yeah. So if, I, if I just collapse and I can't continue. Yes. We've, or we've it, it, it might just be, it might be if we're going to do them, can we just stack them at the end? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, it's the Bret Hart greatest hits. It's the Russian leg sweep, the backbreaker, the pinpoint elbow off the middle mm. rope. Uh, Madison Square Garden really thought the last of those was going to be the three as well. Because um, he's pinned so many people with the elbow yeah, top of the second yeah, rope. It's like, <laughs> I mean, this this predates what I call finisher pro res, where it's like things were a bit more simple and things things other than people's signatures and finishers got pinfalls. Like I grew up pretty much as you did on 90s WCW. How many finishes in the main event of Worldwide each week ended with a roll-up or an inside cradle? At 13 years old, I could apply a perfect small package on people in the playground because I had seen it finish so many matches on Worldwide. <laughs> but to be fair, Brett won King of the Ring with a victory roll. Yes, he did. He did. In fact, all of I think all of his uh, wins in that tournament are cradle variations. Like he doesn't, he doesn't finish any of them with a sharpshooter or anything big. I don't think it's all. I don't it's, think so. No, it's all cradle pins. Yeah, it's all flash pin stuff. Uh, so Kurt gets an O'Connor roll of his own for a two count, uh, but Brett kicks him off to the floor and runs him into the post, which of course perfect takes like a lunatic. Yeah, this is this is the point where it's like, okay, I can get a big one in. Yeah, my back will take mm. it. I can yeah. I can make it to the end. And he takes yeah. it. You compare what he does there to the whole rest of the match that's him going like all right i'm free yeah. i can take this one <laughs> <laughs> um he, he, back inside he takes his trademark hold the rope so i can land on my head when my leg is kicked out of my leg bumps um brett relinquishes the sharpshooter to not coach off the apron which allows henny to kick the middle rope into his little hitmen mm -hmm. uh and the crowd some 15 minutes in are now finally chanting let's go brett uh, Hennig splits leg, uh, splits Hart's legs apart uh, and stomps his inner thigh uh, and then does it again but drops a leg instead. Uh, he goes for this a second time, but Hart catches his foot, crosses the legs and rolls over into the sharpshooter. And before they're even fully in position, Hebner has called for the bell. <laughs> his parking must have been running out or something. I think that was a case of Kurt Hennig has got going, please end this match yeah. before yeah. he puts it yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably said to her before and he's like, as soon as it's on, just... just yeah. <laughs> um, we then <laughs> we then cut to Stu and Helen again uh, with Al Hayes in position to interview them suspiciously quickly. Like at least keep him out of the shot for a second so it doesn't look like he knew the result. Um, uh, back in the ring, Brett tears off the rest of Hennig's singlet for some reason and celebrates. Uh, they then go back to Al with the heart parents as Brett arrives to celebrate with them. Hayes asks Stu, tell us exactly what you think of your son, which is a weird question to start with. <laughs> Oh, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stu's response is, uh, this was a bear. Uh, and then Hayes pulls the mic away mid-sentence, going, there you have it. Uh, and then just before they cut away to a wide of the arena, dressed like a karate kid villain, Bruce Hart shoves his way into the frame. <laughs> I howled. That man has never met a camera lens he doesn't like. <laughs> Always trying show. to ride his brother's coattails. It's incredible. <laughs> Um, 
So, I mean, that's the match. Do we want to talk about uh, King of the Ring before wrapping up this one with thoughts on this one, or or how do you want to? How do you fancy doing this? Yeah, I think we should probably go on to King of the Ring because okay. it's. Um, I feel like the two are kind of linked. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I'm not going to play by play that one, but they're also kind of similar. They, you're right, they do repeat a lot of stuff. Uh, and I rewatched the King of the Ring one like shortly before we started this recording, mm. um, and y- going through stuff now and, and like things Anna said of like like made me realise there was even stuff that I didn't write down that was repeated between the two matches. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll set the scene. It is uh, King of the Ring 1993. It's a semi-final. June the 13th, 1993. Brett has already beaten Razor Ramon in the first round. Who did Perfect beat? In Mr. Hughes. Ah, Battle of the Misters. Um, uh, comms this time, thankfully, are Jim Ross, Bobby Heenan, and Randy Savage, all of which are an upgrade. <laughs> um, I like that Savage immediately brought up the SummerSlam match, saying that Brett used the sharpshooter to beat Perfect then, and so he's, he's going to be, he's going to have his eyes open for it, and he's going to be on guard for it. Mm. Um they do the whipping hip, hip toss again. They do Brett going for the headlock all the time again. They yeah. do the the slam and up kick spots again. Uh, they do the crucifix again. The crossbody mm. rollout sunset flip back in again. Uh, perfect grabbing the head. The whole way headlock. through this, I was doing the Leonardo DiCaprio thing. <laughs> 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 um, it, it kind of feels to me. Not knowing the background, but especially now that, as Arne said about the back, it kind of feels like it's these two guys saying, right, we've got a chance to do this match right. And mm, it also yeah, feels yeah. interesting that the spots that didn't go right in the SummerSlam match go fantastically well in this match. Yeah. And I know we're sitting here talking about re- repeated spots, but you have to think 1991 to 1993 in WWF terms was a lifetime mm. at that point. Well, I reviewed both of those matches for a book Mm. and I didn't notice how much of that was the same Mm. because I'd I'd already watched like a bunch of stuff from Mm. the end of 91. I'd watched Mm. all of 92. So it's a a long time to go. Yeah, If you watch them back to back, it's really obvious. But if you don't... It's At not. the time, like in June 1993, if you wanted to watch the SummerSlam match, you had to own SummerSlam 1991 on VHS. There was no going onto YouTube or a network or anything like that to find it. You, mm. had, you had it in your memory or you had to have the tape. There was, it was nothing else. Um, uh, Hennig, I thought, like, he was... He, <laughs> okay, firstly, I got a laugh out of him taking his strap down, presumably because he doesn't know how to wrestle Brett if his gear's not half off. Uh, <laughs> he, I like that he was playing rough in this one. Like he was taking advantage of Brett as he was getting back into the ring. We should point out that they were both like baby faces going into this. Yeah. Um, because Hennig uh, had been out for a year and then came back and did a baby face turn to get into summer uh, to get into um, uh, Survivor Series '92 to replace the departing uh, Ultimate Warrior on Savage's team against Flair and Razor Ramon. Um, but here, like he's 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 going back to the old ways a bit. He's he's not necessarily being a heel and cheating, but like he's he's hitting Brett a bit too quickly as Brett's trying to get back into the ring. Mm. He's grabbing his hair and slamming him into the turnbuckles. He's putting extra force in on knees. It's about as subtle as a heel can be for nineties WWF. Uh, but like to a normal person watching it, he's very obviously being the bad guy. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so they do the firing off the apron spot again, and instead of colliding with another human being this time, uh, Brett ends up in Randy Savage's drinks cooler next to the commentary desk, which also didn't look like much fun. It looks horrible to take. Yeah, part, part of the joy of these uh, Brett spots, where I mean, he did one uh, Survivor Series '95 when he was wrestling Diesel. Yes, uh, he did a spot the same as this, but like instead of going into like a, uh, various rubble, he went straight through the table. Yes, and Ooh. it's the first ever like table breaking bump. It's the first one. It's the first in the WWF. Yes. Yeah, but like the whole thing. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the first one in that company. Yeah. Uh, so. Like the way that uh, he set things up was a case of this will look cool, but mm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything. It's just gonna happen. Yeah. So mm. Like when he went flying into like all the uh, stuff they got at ringside in in the King of the Ring match, mm. like it looks like he hurt his leg when he landed on it. Yeah. No, nothing was moved. Nothing was prepped. It was just a box. Yeah. He landed mm. on it. Yeah. It looked painful. So uh, it, it was always strikes me that that's far far better than whatever the hell they're doing in uh, WWE today, where somebody's going to throw someone through an announce table, but they don't want to hurt them too bad, so they pull the monitors and stuff yeah. out and move all the, move all the microphones. And stuff. Don't, don't want to hurt them too bad, but I'm going to smash you through a table. Yeah, yeah, move all the spiky stuff. I, um, I mean, I always give them the, the kind of credit that, especially when you're doing something like rock bottom on the table, it's more the kind of, I don't want to accidentally land on the monitor in my nuts. Yeah, or something like yeah, that. but if you're going to power bomb somebody through a table yeah, or just I'll give throw you them through yeah. a table, then don't don't yeah. be moving things around. We'll just <laughs> just do it. Uh, yeah. a qu quick aside: next to this box of drinks, there is also a battered old brown briefcase. Who the hell does that belong to, and what is it doing at ringside? <laughs> Has it got like Randy's stash in it or something? <laughs> might be Jim Ross's. Yeah, it might be. Um, or his private business papers <laughs> <laughs> he's not head of talent relations at the moment i don't think he's got everybody's contracts in there um uh, he's, he'll, he'll have some dirt on somebody yeah probably <laughs> um i don't really think of perfect as a top rope guy but he hits a really nice top rope drop kick in this match um they do uh, 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 for repeating stuff. They do the follow through chest first buckle bump again. Mm. Uh, uh, Kurt gets his leg kicked out of his leg again. Uh, yeah. Rep on a figure four. Like I was expecting hmm. it to be the sharpshooter, but he he goes for the figure four, and they've worked actually quite a pace like up to this point. And this is kind of their rest hold, but it's still somebody going for a win. Hmm. So they're not really moving much anymore, but they're getting a chance to get their breath back. Uh, I mean, Kurt's flailing for the rope and stuff, but like, it's not like he's running the ropes or or they're doing forearms or chops. Yeah, it's still it's relatively it's relatively restful compared to what they've been doing, but it is still somebody going for a win, which I liked. Um, Perfect survives and does the big hair mare again, and then do, they do the sleeper spot again. Uh, but Brett has to has to slump into the ropes to break this one. Um, uh, I, I quite like the, the sneaky Kurt Hennig, when he puts it back on, he's pushing his foot against the bottom rope mm. on the ref's blind, blind side to put some more pressure on. Just a teeny tiny bit. Yes, like yeah. just enough. Uh, per Perfect takes the hair mare slide into the ring post again. This time he hits it with both nuts. Uh, <laughs> oh, Brett runs through his very, Go on. Very quickly, I just mm. really like Brett selling after the sleeper mm. spot. It was just, it wasn't overly exaggerated, but it's just, that nice kind of selling that you kind of got around that time period, which mm. 
because I watched uh, 2000s onwards, kind of most people just don't bother with that with sleepers because it's let's go on to the next thing. Yeah. yeah. Yes, like he's still down and still selling recovery afterwards. Mm. Yeah, I think Brett's selling falls into the absolute sweet spot for me where like it's not that he's not like he he sells at the right amount. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I get very frustrated with people, especially in main events nowadays, where they'll get about 20 minutes in and they'll just be lying around. Mm. They're not mm. doing anything. They're just lying around. Mm. Uh, and that's just become the norm. Mm. And I just hate it. <laughs> it's just, it's like, and then they go from like, like, oh, I'm so fatigued. I can't even get up to, mm. you know, shooting star press. And there, there, there is yeah. nothing in between. It's yeah, I understand that. From that to that. Whereas like everything that uh, Brett does in this match and in the other match, mm. it kind of makes sense mm. why he's, why he is fatigued, but he's like, come on, let's just, just go a bit more. But yeah, he's not yeah. going from like naught to a hundred. He's going yeah. from naught to 20. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which makes sense. Talking of like great little realistic touches that make this match, um, perfect blocks the sharpshooter by grabbing Brett's taped fingers that Razor stomped on in the first round match. Um, and the commentary very subtly brings up at the beginning of the match. Yeah, Jim Ross is really good at stuff like that where yes. he, he'll just slide something in just so yep. you remember it. Yeah. But he won't yep. make a big deal of it. No. So like he's he's he hasn't gone and said it and then yes. said it again and again yes. and again. Because this mm. is the, the WWE thing that they kind of work towards, like mm. the uh, you know, bashing your bashing it over your head that this is gonna happen, this yeah, is yeah. gonna happen, this is gonna happen. And then it happens and he's going, Oh my god, I can't believe this has happened. Yeah. Whereas like here it's like Jim, he mentions it. And then 20 minutes later, it happens. Yeah. Mm. That's how you do it. You plant the seed, but you've got to wait for it to grow. Absolutely. And someone else I want to give credit to, actually, uncommonly, is Randy Savage, who, when Mm. it gets brought up at the beginning, his response is, oh, I didn't even notice till you told me that, Ross. And then he doesn't bring it up at all. And you, mm. you know how subtle Randy Savage can be. <laughs> like, it's not, <laughs> yeah. not exactly, you know, a man who dressed like that is not really known for his subtlety. Uh, so Hart blocks the perfect plex and reverses it into a wild spill over the top. And I think Brett probably did this a lot in Stampede with Dynamite. In fact, I've seen matches where they do it, but it's not commonplace in 1993 WWF. Like, it's a, it's a big, scary bump, and it... It speaks to how much Hennig must have recovered if he's willing mm-hmm. to take this, like a full vertical suplex. He does largely land on his feet, but like there's not much margin for error with this move at all. Well, uh, you say he's recovered, but like well, a couple of months later, he basically uh, he claimed uh, he put in the insurance claim with Lloyd's of London and didn't wrestle for four years. <laughs> so, he's like him yeah. and Road Warrior Animal. I think are Lloyd's of London's least favorite people of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Just constantly fucking them over. What was it? Animals one was like, uh, got the claws, but he could only wrestle tag matches. Yeah. 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 Noted single superstar road warrior animal. <laughs> um, so yeah, did him up a kipper. Absolutely. Uh, back inside, Perfect grabs a small package for a two count. A guy in the front row leaps up to take a picture of this with his camera, uh, and then Brett reverses it and gets the three in what I felt was like slightly anticlimactic, but it fits in with the story of how his Brett is progressing through the tournament. Yeah. Um, but we're not watching the tournament. We're watching, uh, we're watching the matches individually and to, to make sure he doesn't leave as a heel, uh, perfect sort of complains about this at ringside using that very nineties word bogus. He says, this is bogus. 
And then he sort of reconciles with himself and comes back in and shakes Brett ha- Brett's hand and leaves. Um, so I mean, that's a better finish than getting stripped of your gear and kicked yeah. out of the ring. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like it's a more yeah. um, gentlemanly way of, of losing. More dignified. Yeah, dignified, yes. <laughs> he's shaking Brett's hand to say, you didn't cost me 100 bucks in gear this time. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, like, it was um, quite an angry handshake, but it... Yeah, yeah, it was. It felt it, like he was like, "Oh, I'm so mad at myself because yes. I lost." Mm. Yeah, and then he was, just kind of slaps him on the shoulder, and then he yeah. walks up like, "Like, well done," but I'm so annoyed. It's kind of begrudging respect that another man got the better of him. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also that kind of go on, go on and win this. So at the very least, yeah. I can say I lost to the winner. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, so now we need to figure out how we talk about these matches. Um. Uh, I think the first one for me, I think this is kind of positioned as high as it did in our in our project based a lot on nostalgia. This, I think, is going to be voted for by a lot of people who saw this at a time when mainstream US wrestling was starved for actual good wrestling matches. And it was mostly shit like Virgil versus the Mountie or Earthquake versus oh, Christ knows who. And you got maybe, maybe two matches of this quality per year in the WWF. Um, For me personally, I don't think time has been super kind to it. It's a very 80s structure and there's quite a sag in the middle of it. I don't think Mm. the 93 match had. And the, the, the quote-unquote sag in the 93 match is they are still going for the win in that figure four, whereas in the I didn't feel that in the SummerSlam match at all. Um, yeah, I think with the, the, the main difference is obviously that Mr. Perfect is, is basically healthy in the in the 93 match, yes. yeah. even though he did uh, retire, retire like four months later. Mm. Uh, he's in far better condition in that yes. match. He's mm. been better rested. They've not been putting him through a grueling schedule. Yes. Uh, when you look at the 91 match, I personally, I think the 91, SummerSlam 91 is a phenomenal achievement because yes. they got that match out of a guy who was, who couldn't move. Yeah. Basically, he couldn't move. He couldn't bump. Like for, for Brett to be able to work around that and for the two of them to put that, yeah. that match together yeah. was, was amazing. It was an amazing achievement. That's mm. what people remember because of the, the, the back injury came out afterwards. Mm. However, yeah. when they actually got the chance to do the match, when they were both healthy, you got the King of the Ring 93 match, which is a better match. Yes. But yeah. the other one feels like more of an achievement. And also, it was Brett's first singles title yeah. as well, so it just feels more important. So how much of it is is it's, it's like uh, a good good match that you remember at a time when there's not a lot of good stuff, plus mm. it's the beginning of Brett's run? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I mean, you could kind of look at it now – in that it is what will become <laughs> what we become famous for a Bret Hart high profile carry job, although mm. not with a stiff. Like we know that when he could, when he was healthy, like Hennig could go, as we saw like in '93. Mm. Um, and I think because he could go more in '93, it's better paced. Um, they're positioned more as equals. Because, I mean, like Bret's been world champion by this point. He only lost it in that you know yokozuna hogan debacle a few months earlier um, but just salt in the eyes yeah uh and, and perfect gets actual heat rather than it just being about him taking the young guy lightly mm. and like i mean for most of the 91 match like henning is on henning is on the back foot whereas in this one he's he's a lot more he's sharper and he's more aggressive i think 
mm. as a character, um, which is weird because you'd think in kayfabe he would be more keen to hang on to his title than he would be to get to the final of a tournament that doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, mean a whole lot. You know, if Hennig had won this, would he have to fight Jerry Lawler and doink at SummerSlam? <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, this is the first time they televised King of the Ring, yes. so they made like a big deal out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it mm. might have been on TV, but it wasn't on pay-per-view. So it's the first time they did it on pay-per-view. Yes. So from an in-company point of view, it was like, this mm. is the first King of the Ring. It's not. Yes. It, this is the first one. Yeah. So it kind of felt like it would have been a big deal for him if mm. he'd won it from a storyline perspective, which he kind of shows in his frustration. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, it's there to showcase Brett. <laughs> that's yeah. all. Yeah. That's what it was for. It was this whole night was Brett. there to showcase Brett. Yeah, mm. so you could go out and have three different matches against three different guys yes. in the same night and yes. win. I mean, what he'd done like before this, he'd given Razor Ramon his best television match so far since that character had debuted the previous year, and then he would go on to have another really good match with Bam Bam Bigelow in the finals. And arguably, Brett's matches are the only matches really worth watching on King of the Ring '93. Yeah, I don't remember anything else. I no. think Sean yeah. wrestled someone. Yes, but I can't remember uh, who. Uh, oh, no, Sean wrestled Crush. That would have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been Sean trying a pay-per-view carry job. Yeah, it? well, Sean uh, famously referred to Psycho Sid as the biggest piece of luggage in the in the WWF, but <laughs> let's face it, Crush is worse. So, hey, I have fond memories of Chronic. Oh, God. <laughs> So, yeah, well, somebody <laughs> has to. Uh, I was a big Chronic fan at one point until I realised what wrestling actually was. <laughs> so before we end up too far down a WCW rabbit hole, Mark, what did you think of, uh, especially the SummerSlam match, but then like in comparison with the King of the Ring match? Okay, the SummerSlam match, I can, I can get why people vote for it, but mm. it's like, I mean, my notes here clearly say... Well worked, off notes in the middle, possible concussion to perfect, which kind of shows, <laughs> which kind of shows that like, I thought something had gone wrong, mm. and it turned out it's just the back playing him up, which mm. yeah, must be a horrible situation. I love the finish, I love the inventiveness of the finish, but it was like, and I, again, it's like I can get why in 1991 mm. this was be a thing i think if this match happened even five years later no one's going to notice it no one's going to remember it but the, like in the in-ring style of mainstream american wrestling has changed almost completely between 91 and 96 that's what like, that's you're what getting i mean the, yeah you're getting the influence of like uh, like ecw is like three years in you're getting the, the influence of japan and mexico coming into mm. america and like even in even in WWF and WCW, yeah, things have changed completely. Yeah. yeah, for for me, I personally think this match has got to be almost a pure historical significance slash nostalgia yeah. vote, whereas comparing it to the King of the Ring match, for me, the King of the Ring match is this match done, is SummerSlam done right? Because it's yeah. almost so clear that so much of the structure, the spots and elements... And I don't know if that's a, oh, we can do this thing, or I don't know if that was them actually actively saying, well, okay, let's just do that match, but we know it will be better because mm. you're in better shape and we can focus on other things. And mm. other than maybe the finish, 
because I probably preferred the SummerSlam finish, although yeah. the although the lead up to the SummerSlam finish was aimless, and I thought they would have mm. done a better job on commentary if they were saying that Henning was trying to get himself disqualified for low blows, mm. because it felt like well that's technically three low blows in a row that uh, Hebner's just stood there and gormless at. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's like I really liked the King of the Ring match. It's like I. It was a good example of what Henning's good at and what Hart's good at. And I'm just going to quickly go on an aside because previously I've been very critical of Brett because like, especially because most of the Brett that I've seen has been either him as a face or him in an hour long match. And he doesn't really have the things I want from a baby face. But what I'm what I'm really looking forward to is because our last match is the match where Brett turns heel, mm. and I recently went out my way and watched a 1997 Brett match, and I watched Brett versus Terry Funk mm-hmm. from Amarillo, and I loved Brett in that match. Just oh, from because, the Brian Pillman Memorial Show? No, this yeah, was the like Funk retirement show. This oh, was a Funk, funk retirement, retirement show. show. Excuse me, sorry. Yeah. And yeah. just the way he was presented, the way he carried himself as a heel mm. with Funk, you know, Funk and Amarillo is like the baby facest of baby faces. Yeah. Apparently and the story behind that is they were arguing before the match because neither of them wanted to win. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brett had to because he was, was he WF 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 champion? champion at the time? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but he, he said he wanted to lose. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of might have explained why the finish was a bit bleh. Mm. But, um, but yeah, so it's like, I can appreciate elements of Brett and I can appreciate why, but it, it's just like reading a well-written book that the story doesn't actually grip you or the main character just doesn't Mm. click with you. I, I get it and I know I need to watch more, but it's like, I think he's always going to be a guy that I appreciate rather than enjoy. Okay. On. As our guest, uh, where do you stand on these matches, particularly the SummerSlam one, as that is the the title match of the show? Yeah, so the, the SummerSlam one, obviously it's a very important match in Brett's career uh, because this is like his big singles break. Yeah, He has to, to show up and he has to look good. Mm. And he does. So like he does everything he's supposed to do. It's not his fault that, that Hennig is hurt mm. and when he comes in. So from a from a Brett career perspective, it's a really important match. Mm. Like you take this match away, and like after that, the next time that he hits that kind of a high would be WrestleMania uh, the following year, where he yes. gets uh, to beat uh, Roddy Piper. And mm. uh, Piper's another guy who just he didn't um, he didn't lose Piper. Mm. Like I think he lost once by pinfall. Yes. in his entire time in the company, and it was to Brett. Mm. So, really? Like, he, he wanted to put Brett over, mm. and that's what happened. But they felt he needed another one on top of this one mm. just to get him to that that next level. And mm. Brett said something, uh, I can't remember what year he said it, but it was something about he saw himself kind of admiring Randy Savage. When he went into the promotion, he was like, I really like Randy Savage because like he's the best worker they've got in that mm. promotion. Mm. And he said it got to the point where he saw Savage was on his way down and he was on his way up and he was like, I think I'm better than him now. And this mm. isn't now. 
This is the point where he oh, okay. feels in himself that he's now the best, like, technical wrestler. He's the best mm. worker that mm. the company has. So he, mm. it's, he's got the, the, the faith in himself, but he's also now got the backing of the promotion because they're backed into a corner and they can't push the people they want to push. Mm. Uh, that said, I do prefer the King of the Ring 93 match. I think it's mm. a better match. Uh, but from um, a point of view where you're looking at it from it did more for Brett's career, Yeah, the first match, the SummerSlam match, is absolutely vital for him. He has to mm. have that match. It has to be good, mm. and he has to win. <laughs> so like for, from a, a Bret Hart career point of view, mm. does he have the same highs afterwards if this match is, is shit? Yeah. Then yeah. maybe not. So it's huge for him. I also want to make sure that we note how much – Hennig went out of his way to get Brett over. Yeah. I mean, he gave, he gave him the finish as well. Like, he gave him the finish and kicked out. That didn't happen in 91. No, he can, he can barely move. He's bumping as much as he can. He lets the guy kick out of his finish. He submits to him clean, and he lets him strip him practically naked and send him packing back to the dressing room. Like, mm. a heel cannot put over a baby face any more than that. <laughs> yeah, really? Like, this was tacit endorsement of Brett as the next IC champion, for sure. And like, if he's knowing he's not going to be around for a while, why not? Yeah. Like, why yeah. not make sure you are beaten by a somebody? Go out on your back. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. Uh, I mean, it's going to get me a punch in the face from somebody, but I don't think either. I would call either of these must see. I think they are both good for their time, and I think ninety three is better than ninety one. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't like avidly recommend that anybody seek these out to watch them. And I, I would grew up a massive uh, Bret mm. Hart fan. I had like mm. the leather jacket, and the, the my, my hair was kind of longer, and so like, I used to do, <laughs> do the whole <laughs> jacket thing. So like, I, I kind of grew up admiring him as a wrestler. He was, he was always one of my favourites, mm. and the stuff that he was doing in this time period is above what everyone else was doing. Yeah, just because it isn't on the same level as what was happening elsewhere, and like later in the decade and mm. in other time periods when people mm. have done more interesting things and have done better things at the time he was the best yes yeah, yeah. he was the best and he was he was that said i don't think this is the wwf match of the year in 91 ah what is uh because uh that's the year savage and warrior had that match at mania in mm. 91 which, which is we covered a few weeks ago unbelievable so if that's it, uh, I would like to very much thank Arne for coming to join us today. It's been fabulous to talk to you. Uh, now is the time uh, to let people know where they can find you on the internet if you want to be found, what projects you've got going on, anything like that. Okay. Um, so I, I review rest. I've, I kind of retired in mm. Um, mm. 2020 uh, for various reasons. I was a little bit burned out and I kind of, I kind of hated wrestling. <laughs> so... I, I said I wasn't going to do it anymore, and I stopped. And Wrestling made itself very hard to like in 2020, in 2020 for many absolutely. reasons. Absolutely. Uh, the pandemic yes. didn't help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking out didn't yeah. help. So yeah. I, I just took a bit of a break, and it ended up being quite a long break. I, mm. I never said I was going to come back, but I did. So mm. I, I started reviewing stuff again uh, with WXW at 16 Carat, mm -hmm. and I reviewed like every show that happened at WrestleMania weekend. Mm -hmm. And I've done about four shows since. So it's been a little slow, mm. but I'm back into the, the scheme of things. Uh, you can find that stuff at ArnoldFurious.com, which is nice and easy to remember. Uh, I also do a bit of 
uh, audio visual stuff with Eddie Sideburns over on YouTube. You can find that by searching for the Arn and Eddie experience. And if you really want to follow me on on Twitter, where I mouth off quite a lot, it's at Arnold Furious again. <laughs> I I just want to pipe in and say that I think I read almost every one of your Mania reviews, and it's like uh, as someone that did a lot of uh, reviewing for a couple of years and pretty much almost exclusively pandemic era Japanese wrestling show <laughs> reviews, um, I really appreciate the balance of your where you're critiquing more than covering the matches because I think one of the problems of wrestling reviewing is that it's very easy to fall into the trap of just typing what you're seeing. Mm. Oh, yeah. Very, very easy to do. And you do a very good job of not doing that. So if you're someone that wants wrestling reviews, uh, I'm saying this to listeners, wants a wrestling review that is critiquing and not just basically giving you a spoiler for something then i'd recommend uh seeking out arms reviews just oh, to get a feel for it it's t- i've been reviewing uh shows for 25 years and i'm just starting to get to uh, get a feel for it so. <laughs> <laughs> just finally finally hitting your stride I'm starting to get into the groove <laughs> sorry if i've buried you by trying to put you over <laughs> no 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 not at all not at all like i read something that i wrote in 2003 i think uh because it's like the internet never forgets yeah and i was just horrified (laughs) (laughs) okay this will make you laugh the first time i did wrestling reviewing was probably the mid late 2000s and it was for a website called inside pulse which weirdly it turned out will cooling was also working on at the time but on the mma side uh and I, i Yep. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm just going to say I used to write for 411. So like <laughs> that was if 411 and Inside Pulse was like the the big rivalry at the time. Oh. So we were on opposite sides. So good job you're in the same room. This could and be. I used to write for a, a um for like the wrestling section, and over in the music section was Jim Smallman, which is how I know. <laughs> <laughs> Tis a small world. Yeah. yeah. And but the thing about like at the time, it's like I always laugh because I ended up doing like a weekly wrestling Japanese wrestling news article of it. And I called it Pure Shukan, which is the Japanese name for weekly, the weekly pro wrestling magazine. And I didn't realize that magazine existed and was called that. So it's like, well done. and especially when like ditch, who was like the big expert of Japanese, one of the big experts, Japanese wrestling around them was also on the website. I must have looked like such a twat. Well, if you want to see us look like twats now, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Mastodon at Musty Matches. Uh, I am personally a twat at Kieran Edits, and Mark is a twat at Monkey underscore Buckles. If you go to linktr.ee slash Musty Matches, you can find all the ways to subscribe to the show if you don't already. The link to the list of full nominations, uh, Mark's writings at Post, and a whole lot more. Every month, I am on GCP with Andy Ogden reviewing the 1999 British wrestling TV show slash Raging Dumpster Fire. That is UWA Wrestling Rampage. Uh, I think when this comes out, there will be another episode of that out. Uh, has either just come out or will be coming out soon. Uh, you can go to at GCP Podcast One or look for GCP Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Next week, it's more SummerSlam and it's more Bret Hart, but we're rolling forward a year. Yes, it's Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith from SummerSlam 1992 in Wembley Stadium. And joining us for the first time will be Alan Cheapshot, so that should be a great time. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.